Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Uh, this is Guy Windsor, also known as The Sword Guy, and I'm here today with Thomas Suazo, who... Hello. Hello, Thomas. So why don't you start by you telling us whereabouts in the world you are? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. It's, it's been a while since we talked, but I always have you on my mind when I'm thinking about swords. Oh. I'm from Chile, this small, long country in South America, next to Argentina, to anyone who doesn't know where, where that is. And I'm currently living near the capital in a small city called San Felipe, in which I have a club. Mm-hmm. And um, I have my own small business. And um, what is that? I, my business is Broken Anvil, when I build uh, armor reproduction and also build uh, HEMA stuff, like uh, gloves and jackets and all that stuff you need for training, except swords. I don't do swords. You don't do swords, so you do everything else? No, I do everything else but swords. <laughs> okay, that's, a, that's an interesting choice. What made you decide to steer away from the swords? It was a choice when I started making armor because um, I, had, I had to make a choice. You can't really do both. I mean, really? I know people who do both pretty well, but I wanted to do one really, really well, and I'm still okay. working on it. And yeah, and also building um, a workshop for doing swords that for fencing, it's, it's really hard. It's really yeah. expensive. Yeah. Okay, this is something that, that no one who is not a smith will know anything about. So why don't you tell us what makes it so difficult to, to create a forge that will produce swords? Well, it has uh, it, it mainly volume. <laughs> like if we had enough volume, you can actually build it because it's, like, it's, it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. Thinking about maybe $10,000. orders. Yeah, volume of orders, sorry. Okay. And, and I, I thought about this a lot business-like because a lot of people have asked me to build swords here because in South America, we don't really have a supplier of fencing swords. We have a couple I, I, of really good swordsmiths, uh-huh. but they work most on, on orders and small stuff. They don't do like training feathers or training swords like to, right, to okay. destroy them. Yeah, I, I get emails from places like Brazil every now and then saying, where do I get swords from? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a very good uh, swordsman in Brazil, Cordeiro. He's really good, but he okay. doesn't really go for the fencing ah, side of things. And when I mean fencing, shots. I mean, he, he does uh, blunts and stuff like that. I've seen a few mm-hmm. feathers he's done. He's really good, but he doesn't build them in bulk. He doesn't make training tools. That is, I think, one ah. of the first needs a fencer needs, a training tool. Because right. we all want good-looking swords, but sure. we need tools. The ones that can be destroyed for training. Yes. So, and going back to the to the train, um, it's really tricky to get like the proper metals to do swords. Mm-hmm. It's really tricky to get like the proper ovens to heat them up, and it's okay. really really expensive the process to start building swords. Uh, okay. So and and how is that different to armor? It's different because mainly. Um, it's, it's cheaper to get the materials for armor, in a sense. Right. You can build uh, armor out of mild steel, which is steel with not too much carbon in it, right. and it works. You cannot do that with a sword. Sure. If you have, a, if you have bad steel, the sword will break, the, the sword will bend, it won't catch the proper tempering, and that's the other thing. You need to develop a technique of making swords, and you need to, for much as you can read how tempering works, you need to try it a lot of times. <laughs> well, it can okay. be a science. <laughs> since, since, since the last time we met, which was some years ago, I have actually yeah. gone to a Smith's place near Ipswich, and I've actually made um, uh, so woodworking marking knives, Japanese-style woodworking marking mm. knives. So I've actually done like forging and uh, heat treating and tempering and all that kind of stuff, and. Yeah, the oven we, we heat treated the knives in was the size of a microwave. Because the knives yeah. are like, you know, four inches long. That's like 10, 12 centimeters. Um, yeah, yeah uh, an oven for doing that for a sword would have to be about, what, a meter? The size of the long? blade. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is me. <laughs> now I'm starting to understand why you don't make swords. I mean, it's, um, it's doable, it, it can sure. be done. 
but it's really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine that it's difficult to get enough people to spend enough money on the swords to make it feasible to kind of set up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's there's a market though. So if someone is interested in South America, <laughs> give me <laughs> a call. Have to have a lot of money to start. <laughs> we can do something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and would it be possible to, I don't know, import your blades en masse from somewhere else and just <sighs> like help them and maybe do some finished grinding or stuff? It's also doable, but very tricky. <laughs> Imports okay. in South America are trickier. Ah, of course, yes. yes. We I, I used import... to live in Peru a long time ago, and I, I imagine things haven't changed that much. No, no. I mean, in Chile, where I live, is one of the easiest, sure. and still very, very tricky to import stuff. And okay. when you import a lot of stuff, sadly, swords are cataloged as weapons here. You actually ah. need a license, technically. Right. No one does. Because it's, it's a law that was made in the 80s in, okay. you know, dictatorship and all the other political stuff. So no one really listens to the law. But if you are caught training with implements or martial art that is not registered, you can go yeah. to jail, technically. You are kidding. No. It's, that is an actual law. It's like medieval-style law when there's a grandmaster that oversees the, 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 the art. Okay. Yeah, that's, no one, so no how, one so, is, it's not a use law, but it exists. Okay, so how, so what do you guys do? I mean, uh, we just train, train and we're careful. We never go, you probably heard that there was a lot of social unrest here in Chile a few, sure. a few months ago. So we never train when there's social unrest. We never go in the streets with swords on hands and stuff like that. I mean, sure. common sense. Yeah, yeah. We've, sure talk to police and there's no issue when they see you like uh, training with no problems and anything as i said it's not a law that people use it's just mm -hmm. that it is written right so so if a policeman particularly wanted to be difficult they could i don't know if a policeman will know because <laughs> okay no 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 judgment I, I won't get into that topic no 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 but, you can avoid it yeah uh, it's a very obscure law I basically, I only know it because of a problem we had years back with some guy that tried to like be the one who decided who could practice or not because the grandmaster can decide who practices or not. So is there a grandmaster of um, historical martial arts in Chile? No, no, there is not. <laughs> There's a couple guys who call themselves masters. But oh, really? Okay, interesting. Yeah. It's always, but in, in Chile, the term master is different. In Spanish, masters tend to be more like teachers. Sure. Yeah. It's like, it's like Italian the, maestro is teacher or maestro. Yeah. Teacher. Yeah. yeah. It's the same. So when someone calls someone master, maestro, mm -hmm. it's more of a respect than of a title. So it's, it's not a, like a huge issue. And in, in most sure. people who practice here have, have, are very aware that the masters are the one who wrote the books. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, so how did you get into this whole sword armor making uh, historical uh, sort of stuff? I guess like most of us, I really like swords when I was little. Sure. Like I, I really, really do. Yeah. I still do. Yeah. And um, yeah. <laughs> At some point I discovered on the internet that I could do chain mail. In that time, oh, okay. I could. and I started basically when I was like 18, mm -hmm. 12 years ago. <laughs> yeah, and that uh, led me to a forum when I found a group that did historical fencing. But in that time, it wasn't historical fencing, and I started practicing, and I haven't stopped. And that was okay. 2008. Oh wow! What was the forum? I can't remember. Was it I can't remember what it was called? International? No, no, no! It was the Chilean forum. Oh, Chilean, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, luckily, I missed that part of the forums. <laughs> I heard oh, some I stories. Some <laughs> forum international had its, had its moments of greatness, um, and it, it brought us all together and gave us all a place to argue with each other and I always... hate each other, and you know, <laughs> as as internet forums do. I heard some 
uh, there was a Spanish forum that was like the the international forum here, and a lot okay. of people argue over a lot of things there. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah. yeah, by the time like that group was basically soft combat, and mm-hmm. we slowly started discovering uh, the the treatises in the manuscripts, mm-hmm. and yeah, that led me to find uh, Fiore, okay. and that's what kept me in the Italian tradition since to till today. <laughs> You know, on on this show, we do have people who study other arts, like you know, Luther now, Longsword, and you know, I guess some radius, all sorts of stuff. You know, from all sorts of places, and that's perfectly okay. Everybody's welcome. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it is very relaxing to be chatting to a theorist because you know we could just take certain things for granted. I I I kind of have bad news though. What's that? I, I'm I'm more of a Bolognese guy now. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Bolognese. Okay. So why, why don't you tell me a bit about um, your research interests and the, sort of the books that you're studying and what you're getting out of them and how you're applying that in the classes and that sort of thing. Okay. That's that's a big question. Yeah. I as as you know, I had a chance to travel all over Europe, mm-hmm. training with a lot of different guys. So sure. girls and everything. And, and everyone and um, the Italian is was stuck the Italian stuff for some reason yeah. I couldn't really explain like, six why. months in Helsinki might have had something to do with it no uh, three it was, was three it only three months yeah I know I'm a lot but it was only three months <laughs> 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 because of the visa stuff I could have stayed longer but you know oh right yeah of course <laughs> Yeah, that was right, a carry on. Yeah, so, um, but th- there's a great value in like learning a lot from everyone in every. Absolutely. Uh, because all, all basically the story is the same. The people is the same. There's 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 amazing stuff, and it gives you a perspective of how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in my travels, I uh, met Roberto Gotti in Italy. He taught me Marozzo, and I fell in love with it. Okay. Especially his two-handed sword stuff. Sure. So, you're, so that's you're what now, I, you're now a Montante guy, are you? No. There, there's a good argument there. And I th- I, a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but the Maroso sword is not a Montante. No, it's a Spadone, I know. But I was teasing you. But it's not, it's not an Spadone either. Really? It's a Spadone money. It's different. And Roberto okay. had How's it different? his collection. Okay. It's shorter than a Spadone, but it's longer than a classical like two-handed sword. Okay. Like... And Roberto has it in his collection, a sword that is dated exactly as Maroso's treatise. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it has it's two kilos in weight, which is a lot less mm-hmm. than Asfadone, but bigger than a long sword. Sure. 146 centimeters long. Totally. And it handles, yeah. Okay, it's more like a valley-sized sword. Could be. Uh-huh. It's, it's, yeah, it's, for me, it's, I'm, I'm short. Yeah, I'm short, so it's a bit taller for me. But it handles amazingly. It's like you, you wouldn't know how good it feels until you do it. Like all the people who had the chance to try historical swords know this feeling. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you grab it and it feels like it's it part of your body. Yeah. And that sword is perfect for Maroso, but perfect because it's, it's bigger than a long sword, but it doesn't get to the spadone size because when you try to do the assalto with the spadone, it's too heavy. The, 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 the way Maroso moves needs a, a lighter sword, a strong sword, but lighter with the ability to change sides immediately. Okay. The, the spadone, yeah, because the, the spadone montante I've seen always flows with the, the force of the spadone. But Maroso, Maroso is most focused on your strength, your shoulder, your, your back. You put the strength into the sword. The sword just flows with you. And you guide it. The Spadone guides you a bit. Yeah. But I always felt that Maroso, you, you stop suddenly and then change and then move in one side to the other immediately. So the Spadone yeah, doesn't you just quite can't get do with a, with a full two. I mean, you can, but it's, it's clumsy. It's hard work. Yeah. Although... In, in, in defense of the Spadone people, it might be that I'm not strong enough. <laughs> I don't know. Other yeah, people I've seen that are not strong enough. Also, you're shorter than 
maybe the average sort of European yeah. fencer. And um, so, so maybe that 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 146 centimeter sword, in proportion to you, is closer to what we think of as as a spadani in proportion to someone who's say six feet tall. Yeah, but I think honestly, I don't think that's a big difference because okay. I. I'm not a very strong person, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. I, I have some strength. I do strength well, I training. Smith. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've tried arm wrestling Smith, and that is a losing proposition. Yeah. So I don't think it's basically strength the problem. I think it's basically mm-hmm. physics. It's just too much mass to stop in a place. You have to okay. be really, really big to do the same stuff with a, with a sword. And I'm not. I'm not like 140 centimeters. I'm not 160. 60? Yeah, 60. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm heavy built, so I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is, is basically that there's there's only been a few existing swords. This was a very small period um, okay. of two-handed use. It was mm-hmm. the trans I think it was the transition between like the long sword to the montante. Because this was okay. by the end when people were not using really the two-handed sword. Yeah, I mean, the Montante sources are from like 100 years later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 100 years is a long time. We, yeah. we keep, as historians, we keep sort of glossing over just how much changes in 100 years. Yeah. It's all, it's all old-fashioned stuff. It's all pretty much the same. But no, actually, like, if there's, we're talking about a source from 1530 and a source from 1630, there is a full century of history in between that. Yeah, and for students of Marozzo who wants to try like a, the proper sword, um, Kaino blades are trying okay. to make a replica of this sword I'm trying, talking about. There's some replicas going around too. Okay. They're slightly bigger and it works really well. Okay. I, I imagine you took measurements and stuff while you were there. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, if you send those over to me in an email, I will put them in the show notes so anyone who wants to look up those measurements. I can... Yeah. I can send you some measurements because this is, of course, property of the Museum of Martial Arts. So I would recommend you to go to the Museum of Martial Arts from Roberto Gotico in okay. Italy. Yeah. And if you can visit, absolutely go because you can actually take the sword. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as you, as you swing it around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, which is, you know, Roberto Gotti is basically continuing the work of you at Oakshot, who is very much of the opinion that you don't know a sword until you've picked it up. And it's, and it's true. I mean, the, the, the replicas we built are not the same. I'm I, not passing judgment on smiths. I think they're amazing smiths. But I've never tried a replica sword that feels the same way in an historical one. And not because of the magic of the historical thing, but how it feels in the hand. Because all of us who train a lot, are, our muscle groups are built for swords. <laughs> And you can you can really feel when a sword is good. So yeah, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, the question was basically, you know, so what 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 are your research interests? And you know, but um, oh well, <laughs> but this is not a quiz. So this is just a conversation. So yeah, just take to, it wherever you want. Um, yeah, the, basically, those are my interests in like discovering okay. like the proper way of doing things. I, I have something in the assaltos, which is very very valuable for me and for the practice. Okay. Which is it gives us the system in 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 in, in form. And, and okay. I feel like um it's very useful the assalto. I feel like the assalto is like a dictionary. Yes. Where you can you can discover the whole system and you have little parts that you can take and mix and create that's, new that's what ways. Forms yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, that's, that's it's brilliant. why that's why I have forms in my syllabus. It's like it is a a set of chapter headings. And when you when you've learnt the form, you then fill out the chapters, yeah. your own experience and, and knowledge and what have you. And as you get better and more knowledgeable, the form itself doesn't change, but the quantity of information stored within it increases hugely. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, you're, you're preaching to the converted. The, the assaulty are like critically important. The only difficulty I think is. Because we just have text, we don't have. It's really difficult to know for sure what it is exactly Morozzo would actually do. You know, what was in Morozzo's head when he wrote those particular passages? Because let's face it, Morozzo is not the best writer in the world. No, 
he's great, um, but no. <laughs> he's not a great writer. No, no, no. I, I have, no. I have, a, I have Morosa in the house, obviously, and you know, it's just these sentences that go on and on and on forever. And you know, I'm sorry, who was doing what, when, to whom, how? <laughs> it's, it's, it's tricky. It's, okay. it's very tricky. And, and Marozzo clearly writes for someone who knows the system. Right. It's like, and, I, yeah, I think and it explains a lot more than Fiore, for example. <laughs> really? A lot more. Yeah, I think it does a lot more than Fiore in, in explaining. Huh. And okay. having studied both systems. Sure. And, well, um, you're entitled to your opinion, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Marozzo doesn't have a three-hand technique, but, you know... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> um, but it has a very big problem with terminology. There's a lot of stuff that says by name that never explains, and there's a lot of stuff that is that is the same, but it doesn't call it the same. And there's stuff that is the same that calls it differently. Yeah, and it's tricky. We have a study group here in South America with some friends from Argentina, Uruguay, and mm -hmm. Peru that we study Marozzo. And these are very, very long discussions. Like, okay, what does okay. he say? Why, why, why is he using this here? Why, if I'm entering on the left, I'm pointing to the right? And months. Yeah. Discussions, discussions. It's, yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, and you know, Spanish and Italian are pretty close, but they are not the same language. So I imagine yeah. your, your, your ability to read Italian has improved enormously in the last decade. <laughs> it has. <laughs> I'm funny, uh, better at reading old Italian than modern Italian. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, okay, so now we all have things that we know we ought to be doing more of. Um, so what do you think you should be doing more of in your own training? <sighs> Short answer, everything. Yeah, everything, okay. Yeah, um, more specifically, um, strength training and physical conditioning has always been a weak point for weak point for me so okay. i've always tried to complement that before mm -hmm. the um, well in chile for for context since october last year we have big social unrest here a lot okay. of issues mm -hmm. so we haven't been able to properly train we've been basically in a crisis state since october last year okay. people who know how that feels because of the pandemic now yeah. for us it's been like since october Okay. Because we could, we had curfew, we had a lot of problems. Sure. I won't get into that here, but you can read it on online. There's a lot of info. Yeah, yeah. And um, we stopped training about there. We kind of get back a bit over the our summer, January mm -hmm. and February, but then we have coronavirus and the COVID thing yeah. has been really hard on us. I also won't get into it because it's a very political issue, apparently. <laughs> but we are just entering the worst as of, uh, as of June. Like, okay, we we things are bad here in that respect. Right. So we haven't been able to train at all okay. all this time. So that's why everything is the main question. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. And I was also doing weightlifting. In like Olympic weightlifting, that yeah. I think is very complementary to fencing. It works. Sure. It works really well. Um, sorry, I kind of got distracted. <laughs> it's been tough. A tough months here. Sure. Um, but uh, physical training and also like um, I miss. I really, really miss. And I just. I don't mean this in any like derogatory way, but I really miss fighting skilled uh, fighters. I had the chance in Europe to mm -hmm. fight really technical, really, really proficient, really amazing people mm -hmm. a lot in a lot of places. And um, I don't have that here. I, I don't know how to explain it. We have amazing fighters here. We have oh, amazing sure. people who train, but it's, it's, it's just experience. Yeah. And, and having people having really, really good people to fight all the time really helps you get better. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, a rising tide lifts all boats. And if, yeah. if, you're, if you're usually not the most experienced person in the room, you can always learn something easily. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. When, you're, I mean, when, you're, when you have like, when you're in the sort of upper echelons of like 
the most experienced people in the room, then it's you still can learn a whole load of stuff, but it is just more difficult. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I completely agree. You can still learn from every fighter. You can learn something. Absolutely. From every step. But, but there's, there's to learn from someone who's just handed you your ass. I think, yeah, no, and I think it's it's like your focus. I, I focus yeah. on technical fighting. I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't like uh, hitting too hard or being mm-hmm. extremely fast or anything. I, I like to be technical. I like to use the sources. I like to use, and I, I think I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. And I remember last year when I organized a, an event here and we had some guys from Colombia yeah. who do Destreza and they train with the Destreza guys in Barcelona. Uh-huh. And and that's how I felt like yeah this is it the guy is really good Jonathan yeah and it was a completely technical fight it was it was it was a dance and, yes, and it, it felt so good when it feels like that it felt so good so, so speaking, speaking of fencing um, tell me about the sort of protective equipment you're using because literally everyone I interview has a usually have a pretty strong view about the current state of protection and you actually make the stuff. So I'd yeah. be remiss not to, you know, feel, you know, if you have a rant, feel free to unload. <laughs> You're amongst friends, just go for it. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, as you said, I make stuff. I basically build all the equipment and I build, I said for the mask, I build the, the, uh, the back of the neck protectors, the jackets, mm-hmm. the gorgets, the basically everything you can need for fencing but i personally don't use all of it like i i like to use a slightly lighter jacket i like to use um elbow pads and um, glo- really good gloves because i work with my hands sure. so what's the um, are you using? um i was using the space heavies for a long time yeah. because it was were the ones that i could get and i hated yeah. them no judgment for space. I just don't like that type of. I I I need. Yeah. As I said, I like to do technical fencing, so I need dexterity in the fingers. Yes. So, I guess this is promotion time. But I build my own gloves. Okay. <laughs> no, tell us about them. What, what do you make them from? What sort of structure? They, they are um, a, a plastic that took me so long to get. So so long to get because, well. It's, it's tricky here until you get those fancy materials. Sure. And they have a four-finger structure where I basically okay. join the last two fingers into one because one of the main weaknesses of all the gloves is the pinky. You always get sure. the pinky broken. And having them together with the other finger that I can't really, don't know how to say in English. So the ring finger. The ring finger? Yeah. Helps with a bigger protection, have a bigger plate and everything. And okay. it doesn't bother... To, to handle the sword because those fingers always move together. Right, okay. When you're using a sword, they tend to really move together. Okay. And um, very heavy padding, very heavy three millimeter plastic and a structure built basically following uh, armory concepts adapted to the material. Oh, so like overlapping scales? Yes. Or, okay. So overlapping scales on the thumb, and uh, also a knuckle plate. Sorry? And a knuckle plate. A knuckle plate? That yep. falls under the glove and over the fingers. Yep. So they allow for movement in the knuckles and protection there. I'm quite happy okay. with the design. They've been proven a lot. Okay. They're really tricky to make, but yeah. I'm, I'm happy with them. And I think that with the mask, that's one of the most important parts of the protection, the, the gloves. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I Hands just want the artists to get right. Yeah. You, I mean, you need I, to have that dexterity or you're wasting your time. And it's always you. You can. You will never have the same dexterity without, without gloves. There's just simply not possible. Yes. Of so like. So there's always a compromise. Yeah. But okay. but yeah, those are the gloves I use. I need fingers, and I don't have the money to buy like the pro gauntlet stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So are you making these in standard sizes, or do you make them to order, or how do you do it? Um. Yeah. Basically, I have a standard size. Uh, I can make them custom, mm-hmm. and I've done it because a lot of uh, girls who practice need smaller gloves. I've done it for a few here in Chile. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tricky, but it can be done, and it's necessary because if you have a huge glove, it won't protect you. Yes. 
I actually had experience. I'm the only one who has been getting hurt with my gloves in a tournament in Argentina. Uh, I, I made a custom pair for a friend there who's very, very tall, Ezequiel. He's probably going to hear this later. Okay. And I have his gloves because, of course, we have a saying here in Spanish, this Casa de Herrero Cuchillo de Palo, which means in the blacksmith's home, he has wooden knives. Yeah, the same expression in English is uh, the cobbler's child goes barefoot. Yes, right. <laughs> exactly. So I didn't have my gloves yeah. because I couldn't have time to build them. So I used his and his are bigger than my hands, a lot bigger. So they moved and I got a hit really, really hard on the thumb. Oh no. The day before my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> When I was okay. going to do 35 for 30 years. Oh, no. <laughs> <And> I... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, regards to Danny in Argentina, if he's listening, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. He's the one who smacks you on the hand, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Still yeah. warm, though, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to, uh, yeah, I had to retire for the tournament because the, 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 the wound wasn't oh, no. pretty. Yeah, luckily it wasn't like properly broken, but it took a while to get healed. Sure. Okay. Yeah, Um, that's that's the only injury I know. Okay, so you say you make your own gloves. um, Yeah. And you're asking you you'll make. I mean, are you stitching the jackets yourself? Yes, I do everything. My goodness. Yeah. It's because when I've tried, if I need a custom-made new fencing jacket, I know where to come, right? Yes. Excellent. Okay, good to know. All right. Um, uh, but in more general terms, uh, sorry, in, in equipment, I mm-hmm. think as long as you're using gloves and mask, the rest is, is, is up to you. I think yeah. those are the most like important parts, especially for training. Mm-hmm. You can do training with gloves and mask. I don't recommend doing train, any training without mask. Sure. Okay. It's, it's, it's especially with new guys. You probably heard about this uh, American school that they got a guy stabbed through the eye yeah yeah that is absolutely avoidable and it's your responsibility as an instructor to do it yes absolutely yeah and um for tournaments i guess as long as you feel safe i don't think anything wrong with using more protection you can of course argue about the the state of the he machine or where it's going to go the sport and everything but i think people need to feel safe practicing and if people doesn't feel safe without gear I don't know I think it's a personal choice in some respects if you don't agree with how a tournament is doing things don't don't go (laughs) send them a message saying hey guy I think this could be done differently my um, I hope it goes well bye (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) so okay Um, all right so, what has been your proudest moment in historical martial arts? My proudest moment? Yeah. It, last time I went to Europe, 2017, okay. um, I visited a group in Italy. Right. Um, Apese, which is northern Italy. Mm-hmm. They're great. It's, uh, and they had a, a, a festival style uh, tournament because they had a mini event. Right. And that's where you basically fight all day. And then people choose like who was like the really good fights for the best fight or the most uh, gentleman one and everything. That's my favorite kind of event here. The problem with tournaments is so much hanging around. And if you get knocked out in the first round, you get like maybe a few fencing matches in the whole day. It's a total waste of time. But that's much better where everyone is fencing all day. And yeah. And it's more historical. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I love it too. I really, really do. And, um, and, it, and it gives you a chance to express the art. Like you, you're not worried about, yeah, if you can snipe on the hands, okay, yeah, try better, make a better card next time. But you can really try and do things. And I was recognized, not the, as the best, but as one of the three best there. And, and, oh, wow. and it felt really good because they were really, really good fighters there. Really, really good. Yeah, well done. Yeah, and I felt real proud <laughs> in, a, in a humbling way it's like oh i i, I wasn't yeah, now, going with any now you have to live up to it yeah <laughs> now, yeah now you have to prove to them that they were right to select it yeah 
Yeah, and also a, a similar moment here in in South America and Argentina in a tournament uh, a mm -hmm. few years ago when I uh, got elected as a best technical fencer. Lovely. Yeah. So what is the, I mean, okay, an awful lot of people who do historical martial arts don't understand Spanish, don't read Spanish. And of course, yeah. most of the historical martial arts life in South America is conducted in Spanish or Portuguese. So I'm mm -hmm. imagining that most of my listeners just have no idea what's happening in South America. So could you okay. sort of fill us in? Of course. Yeah, what's it like? I'm, I'm a big believer in like community. I got that feeling in Europe when everyone, everyone talks, everyone travels. And, and I think that's a very strong thing for HEMA because mm -hmm. we need to share. And I've been trying to travel all I can and inviting people here so mm -hmm. we can create that. And I've discovered a lot of groups in a lot of different countries. In our, and I think where it's more developed is here in Chile. In terms of like organizations and, and materials and stuff, yeah. Argentina is also very well developed, but there's less groups there, but they're growing and they're building events and stuff. Mm -hmm. Brazil is also, um, there's a lot of groups there, but they are so big that they can't really connect themselves cheaply. Oh, well, the country's so big, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the yes. country is so big. So they, it's really, for us in Chile, we just take a bus of eight hours and go to an event. But in Brazil, it's days of travel. Days. Yeah, I mean, Brazil is significantly bigger than Europe. <laughs> I guess I've seen it up, but it's really big. It's yeah. really, really big. Yeah, Argentina is also huge, but they, fo they, 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 like the groups have focus on an area in the northern Argentina. Okay. Uruguay also has some groups that are um, getting born, and there's like a very talented people in Uruguay. Mm -hmm. Very talented. In Peru, there's also several groups in, in Lima and Arequipa. There are groups in Arequipa? Yeah. You know, I, I used to live in Arequipa when I was a kid. Ah. Yeah, yeah there's a very historical martial arts is, is is alive there. They are. They sadly they study German tradition though. Ah. But I'm, oh, I'm changing well, never that. Mind. Never mind. German <laughs> tradition is good too. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I'm joking. In um, in Ecuador, there's um, there's a school. There's this uh, martial art masters who was training in the U in the U.S. and started a school there. And there's also like another school that's um, developing there. There's all stopped. All of this has stopped because of coronavirus. Because everything is just stopped. Do you think it will start up again, or do you think yeah, yeah. coronavirus might be fatal to it? No, no, I don't think it will be fatal. It's, it's definitely a hit. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and but I think it's going, it's going to be more troubling for us is that the crisis that's going to come after this. We're so going to have a huge economical crisis. Yeah. So that is not going to be fun. No. <laughs> but, but we'll get through it. Um, the people who are in HEMA here are not people who give up easily <laughs> because it's a lot trickier. But let me finish with the counting of countries. Then in yes, Colombia... Yes, in Colombia, we have a couple of groups. In Colombia, there's like also a lot of Vikings for some reason, <laughs> like Viking, Viking reenactment. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in, in Chile too, there's like a lot of Vikings. Huh. Like they really love the Viking stuff. Okay. <laughs> Just curious. And um, basically that's, those are the groups. And I know that there is in Bolivia, there's one guy who's having a like sort of school. Mm -hmm. And I basically know almost all of these people because we've tried to gather in events. We have okay. six countries represented last year in, in the event we organized here. What's the event? Uh, it's a Cerro de Concagua. It's a mm -hmm. small tournament event and classes that we do here in my town. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't think we're going to do it this year. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably but not. If you, have a, if you have a website or anything for it, um, Send me the URL oh. and I'll definitely put it in the show notes so people can find it. Sure. I, I, I mean, I have an updated one because we do it. We update it for the event. But maybe the Facebook page. I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, There's sure. a lot of pictures going around. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it was a good event with a lot of uh, sharing. And that's how we're slowly building a community in South America. Like we don't have federations here yet because we don't have like the amount of people that we need for doing that. And but we are in contact. We are working together. We are slowly building like the continent. Respect because Hima is here to stay in all over the world. It's excellent. Music yeah. to my ears. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Where do you see things going in a year's time? Do you think uh, will have passed and, and things will be more or less back to normal? Or how do you think I'm not going? sure. To be honest, I'm not sure. The, the yeah. things here are, are a bit tricky mm -hmm. because of how, basically how poor everyone is. It's, it's just yeah. like the main issue. Like we don't have sure. proper services. And um, I, don't, I don't really know the, the, the like, they told us in March that by June this will be over. Right. And now they're saying that, that the worst is yet to come. So I, I honestly don't know. Okay. Uh, the, there's a lot of people in my group that I know that will keep practicing. So there's a lot of people mm -hmm. in all South America that, that they have a passion for this and they will keep practicing no matter what. Mm -hmm. But well, there's, a lot, there's a lot you can do on your own. Like, you know, there's research yeah. and there's solo training and there's, you know, you, I've I been translating a lot. Person. I bet. <laughs> what have you been translating? Marotsu. I'm working on a Spanish translation for the people here. Oh, excellent. Okay. Most people don't speak English here, so... Okay. So the English yeah. translations aren't much use? No. They're useful for a lot of people, but mm -hmm. not all of them. Not all of them. Okay. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a bit grim, but... Uh, we'll 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 get through it. Glad to hear it. Okay, um, I have a few sort of standard questions that I tend to finish up with. So, what is the best idea that you've never acted on? The best idea I've never acted on. Yes, everyone has at least one sort of idea filed away in a drawer somewhere. Going, oh, if only I should do that. Basically, moving to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you tried. You I did. I haven't. One. I you haven't stopped. <laughs> I'm still trying. Um, no, but I think. I think basically building a school, like something okay. similar to what you did in Helsinki, that might be like a, a good idea. That I will try to do at some point if if I stay in Chile because I'm I still have the idea of living somewhere else. Okay, where do I live? Honestly, anywhere <laughs> but Chile. No, uh, I love Europe. I, I fell in love with it, like the whole thing. I, I, I love Finland. I love the UK. I love Italy. I love France. I love Spain. They, they're great places. Of course, they're not perfect, but... Yeah, no, that's perfect. But yeah, I, I, I very feel much at home in many of those places, mm -hmm. even though I stayed like for two, three months. Right. And, um, and also, it's, it's, it's a lot different. In, for what I want to do with my life, which is basically fencing, swords, building armor, building stuff. Which sort of implies that you have like a workshop that you set up that's actually quite difficult to move. You'd be surprised. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I moved my woodworking shop from Finland yeah. to Britain and it was, yeah, not easy. Well, my life... In my life, because of how my, my mom works, I've always lived like three years in one place and three years in another, and I've never stayed okay. in one place for a long time. So ah, moving okay. for me is just, it's easy. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, I know people that are very, it's very difficult for them to, to travel and move to another place. And, and I don't I'm, think there's anything wrong with it, but. No, I, I was the same. I, I grew up in, in, in England and Argentina and Botswana and Peru, and then my parents moved to Scotland and and I moved to Finland and, you know, so I'm, I'm used to the whole, so I understand that moving is easy, but once you've established a, you know, established a workshop that, you know, there's lots of big, heavy stuff in there. Yes. Physical, either you have to have the money to replace it when you move, or you have mm -hmm. to be able to bring it with you. Yeah. And yeah. Have a place but to push I, it when you get there. So I've, I imagine that's quite tricky. 
Yeah, you know, but you know, like when I went to Europe the first time, I basically yeah. sold everything and just right. went. You know how I arrived? <laughs> you remember? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> you were the first one I met. <laughs> yes. And, um, and you arrived with a rucksack about as big as yourself and that was it. Yeah. yeah. And that, was, that was all I had. Yeah. I have a lot more stuff now, but I bet. I, if, if it means that I can do what I want, which is mm-hmm. basically live in my own terms and live in my, um, with what I want to do, yeah. I can start over. I, I don't actually mind if I had to sell yeah. everything and start slowly in another place. As I started here, after I came back from Europe, I started with a small workshop with no tools. And now I have a proper, proper workshop. Mm-hmm. I can do it again. Okay. It's not, a, it's not a limiting thing. <laughs> okay, no, that's, that's a very sort of flexible mindset. Uh, you have to be um, when you try and live out of fencing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. That's very true. <laughs> okay. All right, so my, my last question for you is, mm-hmm. um, if you had a million dollars or euros or some major currency, um, to spend improving historical martial arts worldwide, how would you spend that money? <laughs> that 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 would be awesome. Would I be. think yeah, I would... but you can't spend it on your own gear and your. Own I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay. You have to spend <laughs> it on improving historical martial arts worldwide. I think I will do something similar to what Roberto has done in Italy. Okay. I think that's that's a very good example of like building and, and improving so, and moving. Okay. Most most of the people listening to this will have probably never been to Italy and yeah. don't really know what you're talking about. So why don't you give us, well, give Robert, us the, the, the lowdown on Roberto as well? Roberto Gotti it's um it's a guy yes. who lives in Italy who has a very big collection of swords and manuscripts. He's, he his life his his like proper life is fencing he he loves Hima and he slowly built this collection he opened a museum with a training hall for this collection where people can go and train and touch the originals and read the original manuscripts he's also like he moves a lot in in Europe uh, doing all our stuff doing tournaments organizing he was one of the ones who got the Hima into the European games if I remember correctly Right. So he's a guy who who does stuff, a lot of stuff. Uh, you can have your own opinion of whether that's like good stuff or bad stuff. I think. <laughs> but it, you but the museum it, but that he's created—that's that's the sort of thing you, you would like to recreate somewhere. Yeah, so the, the, presumably the, not the, next door to not next door to Roberto because that would be a, a bit wasteful. Yeah. Um, so where would you put this museum of yours? Where would I put it? Yeah. yeah. It, it really depends. Honestly, if I had a million dollars. In my house. If, in it was next to my house. Yes, come on. It's the only place for it. Come on. Yes. The UK has enough source already. Yeah, true. Fair enough. So where, where would you put it? It's tricky. If I had a million dollars, I could travel to Europe and get a visa easy. <laughs> you probably could. But if I wanted to build something worldwide, it would be here. It would be here okay. in South America. Mm-hmm. Probably in Chile. Because okay. it's, it's easier for me sure. but yeah and, and basically build a system a community where people could like travel and stay in places create create networks of people who can travel and learn from each other mm-hmm. i think that the, the the possibility i had of traveling and learning from so many people was such a had big impact impact on me and my life that is something i think people need in if we're going to do fencing, the most people who can talk, teach you, like the masters did, the, the masters travel and learn from everyone they could. Yeah. And, and it works. So, so you envision a sort of a center which has historical weapons for people to use and historical manuscripts, ideally, and yeah. a training space, maybe accommodation for people who've traveled? Of course. I mean, the idea would be to have like a network of places where you can stay. Oh, uh, never places. Like wow, I, I think yeah. they're going to be running out of money quite soon. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, most fencers can just stay in a couch. <laughs> That's, that is true. <laughs> I mean, I slept in a lot of couches. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and, the, reason, um, 
one of the reasons that I, I got a sal so early in my, sort of, when I set up my school, mm-hmm. uh, long before it was a good business decision to get a sal, was so that students who were visiting and had no money could just sleep in the sal and it was free. So it just, it just lowered, lowered the barrier to getting people in who could then interact with my students and just generally raise everybody's game just by being another perspective in the room. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, I'm, I'm, I'm totally behind the whole, it's a good idea to have a, a training space where people can sleep. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so what do you put in this place of yours? What would I put? I mean, basically everything you need to train, like to lend. And I, I think also it would be very interesting to have like a publishing stuff, like sure. to, to have a, a part of that money dedicated to publishing things a lot, like uh, Wicked Hour does. I love yeah. the work they do. Oh my God, they're great. They're amazing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, there's like people who are starting now, they have so much, <laughs> so <laughs> much. I started in the early 90s. I, oh <laughs> so yeah, tell me about it. Even by like 2002, 2003, things were different. Yeah, no, because I, I remember like the first, like, like the first proper treatise we got was the Tony Only translation mm-hmm. that we bought like from, uh, from okay. Chile and it was a huge effort like, of Fiore. Oh, right, In, okay, yeah. And I think then we wrote to you and you gave us like an early copy of the Getty Manuscripts in that time. That was 2010, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe I, I sent you a... Yeah, yes, cause, cause, yes, absolutely. Because we yeah. bought it. It's like, I think the, the that's, idea that's was like, right, yeah, these guys are really interesting. We had the scans of the manuscript and yeah. Trevor produced the translation. And one of my students took the translation and just sort of superimposed it on the manuscript so you could... Like yeah, 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 okay. And I contacted Tom and I told him what my student had done. And I said, is it okay if I share this with people who have already bought the book? Yeah. He was like, yeah, that's fine. And then I just got this deluge of emails saying, <laughs> um, I've I just heard that we can have this thing. I'm going to go and buy the book right now. <laughs> and so I, and it, it, was, it was good for Tom's sales, that's for sure. But yes, that, no, I think that's probably yeah. how we, that's, that's how we first, yeah, yeah into in, in contact. Yeah. And, and I think after that, you said like, you invited me and a friend the, yeah. they was like, you can go and stay a month here and they stay three months. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, My swords have never been so clean. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, and that was like the best material we could ever get. And now you can get everything. Yeah, I know. like everything. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like so uh, I mean, yeah, and then people like don't read stuff because oh, it's not translated properly. It's like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, those of us who've been in the field a while, it's like you look at the youngsters coming up, and it's like you have no idea. No you complain about this, you complain about that, you have no idea. But that's what old men have always done. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right? Of course. And I mean, I don't hold anything against them. No, no, it's no. just like, <laughs> it's a good thing. It's like, I'm so glad you don't have to go through what I had to. <laughs> well, quite. Yeah, and, and you know, if someone can get to a level of understanding of historical martial arts in, I don't know, two or three years, that it took me 15 years to get to. I know. In, in your generation, trained mine. That's right. <laughs> and what took me, in what took me eight years, uh, I have some guys who have very natural talent here, mm-hmm. and uh, they took it in a year. It's like there you go. I'm, I'll soon won't have anything else to teach you. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know, actually, that's a good stimulus to your own training. Is you know, when yes. students are getting better and better, and you just have to scurry to keep ahead of them. And that's that's something to teach them. That's something that we've managed with this study group that we built because most of the guys who are in those study group came to train with me from different countries. Okay. They stayed with me for a week and I mm-hmm. train. I basically taught them everything I know. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so they now, we now have discussions of the material in basically the same level, right. which is amazing. 
because you, if you stay in this comfort zone of like knowing more and like feeling that you are better than anyone else, <laughs> you you just you're 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 shit. <laughs> like, well, yeah, you stagnate. <laughs> yeah, and, and and sucks. And and I've seen some examples of people doing this. Like they get to a level, and it's it's fairly easy to do it here because. <laughs> we don't have that many people who can like break the mold and go beyond by sure. themselves. It's, that's really tricky. And yeah, so that's why I also go to Europe every certain time because <laughs> mm-hmm. I need to get the ego down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. When, when, when you feel yourself a big fish in a small pond, it's good to go swimming in a bigger pond every now and then. Yeah. In Spanish, we say like the, 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 the one eyed guy is, is king in the, King of the, the king blind. of the blind, the one I man is king. Yeah. 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 Oh. Yes. And I feel very much like the one I guy <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you and me both, man. Uh, <laughs> all right. But so the point is that you know that you are the one I guy. You, 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 you are not good. I, I have to remind myself that I'm, I'm, I can always be so much better. And I had the chance to train with such good people. With such good teachers, such good fencers, and everything that uh, that keeps me focused on getting better. Yeah, I mean, I also think I liken it to medicine. It's like you know, a, a doctor who who qualified forty years ago and has been practicing medicine ever since. Their level of medical knowledge might have stuck where it was from forty years ago, and they've just missed out yeah. every every development in medicine in the last forty years, or they might be losing their field because they've kept ahead. And you yep. have no way to know walking to the doctor's office what kind of doctor they are. But usually after you know, five minutes of talking to them, you can, you can pretty much figure out whether they were, you know, oh, I've, I've learned everything I need to learn. I'm a doctor now and I can do what I want. Um, or whether they've actually, you know, kept up with the latest developments and what have you. It's, yep. We see the same thing in, in, in martial arts generally. It's, you know, a level of skill that was perfectly adequate for, you know, teaching professionally 15 years ago shouldn't even, you know, should get you nowhere today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the field has grown so much. That also has like a double-edged sword mm-hmm. in, in the sense that, for example, I, I, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot as a fencer, as an instructor, and I've seen it on my students that they're mm-hmm. they're good fencers, but I still don't feel like I can, I can charge. Ah, <laughs> uh, like, okay. I don't feel like I'm not good enough yet. It's like, yeah, maybe in a few years. Uh, uh, all right, like right, the imposter okay. syndrome, and, and, and a lot of people yeah. here had that. Yeah. Well, the whole charging thing is, is a really personal decision. Yeah. And the way... It, I always looked at it was, you know, where I was like 20 years ago when I started charging people, right? It, it was pathetic compared to <laughs> someone who's been training for five years now, right? And who isn't charging anybody, all right? But the way I always looked at it was um, my students pay me for my time and for the time I'm spending becoming you know, learning the things and, and training so that I can teach them. Yeah. yeah. So if I didn't charge for, for it, if I didn't charge for the teaching, I couldn't do this for a living. And therefore, all of the time I would spend researching and training, I would have to, you know, chop away most of that to actually have a day job. Yeah, I have the uh, same issue here. <laughs> yeah, so, so as I see it, um, if you being there is doing your students a favor and you would do it better if you had, if, if you were paid for it so you could devote more time to it, then you are doing your students a favor by charging for it. Charging for yeah. That's how the other, the, in my, in my respect, I, I, I agree. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Your time should be valuable. The problem here in Chile is that time is not valuable. <laughs> Oh, okay. Not for the normal people. It's like the, the the maybe people in Europe don't really, or in America maybe. I mean, in the United States, they don't really feel this way. 
but I've seen both sides. Like I lived in Europe and I lived in in, in my country. The amount of money can people can um, put into hobbies and activities is so much less. So much oh, sure. less. of course. So those activities who are not primordial, um, they don't get money. Like for example, uh, an, a professional martial arts instructor here mm-hmm. charges a guy for like it would be like twenty euros a month okay. for having a gym and training and everything, and it's, yeah. it's basically nothing. These people yeah. live with less than the minimum wage. Yeah. So when you have something that is not known, for because a kung fu master can charge that and people will pay it. Basically, yeah. training children. It's not a viable thing training adults here, sure. or training for tournaments. Mm-hmm. And first, it's, it's, it's a thing that is very, people get with a very wrong idea of what it is when they come to the first training <laughs> of what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen that a million times. Yeah, and, and they usually go immediately if they, if they want to feel like powerful knights beating people. Mm-hmm. Like that, that people kind of filters itself out really quickly. And sure. people who, who find a system and find someone who can teach them and finally they can grow in different ways training, they stay. Sure. And I have a lot of people stayed and that makes me really happy. But at the same time, these people have to afford swords, afford gear, afford yeah. it, the training time and it's just too much money for us. In Europe, someone can buy a 2,000 Euro, a 200 euro sword one month and it's not that big of a deal. Hmm. Yeah, here you have the average monthly wage. Yeah, it's here you have to save for a year for a sword. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's in, in, in a sense, it's like a choice between like, okay, if I start charging for my time and, and everything, I won't have students or I will have like three students. If I yeah. just charge just a little bit, just to get the gas for the truck and get the swords there, mm-hmm. I, I might have like 20 students and the art can grow. So it's... Okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And yeah, if you are, if you're, you're, you're selling protective equipment, right? Yeah, that's, that's that's what you make your living from. Yeah, right. I I, I so, did before the pandemic. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So then, then like from an economic perspective, um, the you have the classes so that people will train, so they'll need equipment which you can then sell them, and so it's it's. Kind yeah, that that would make sense if I didn't charge what I charged to the guys from my group. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know what you're like. It's like. You need it. Of course, you can have it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. No, I had this prototype. Things. Yeah, I can sell yeah. it to you for like two two euros or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, the the problem with doing what you love professionally is that you you do a lot of personal sacrifices that you wouldn't do for a job normally. Sure, that's absolutely true. Yeah, and and I think us. Like when people say follow your dreams, I say just don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, if, if, I mean, if you're so, if you're so, if you're hes- if you're sufficiently hesitant about it that you're asking the question, don't do it. Yeah. Like if you don't have any other choice, go for it. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if, if yeah, if it won't leave you alone and you just have to do it, then by all means do it and. But it's, you you must know it's miserable <laughs> for a lot of time. It's well, just like okay. it's incredibly it rewarding, but yes, a lot of the process for, is so difficult. For fifteen years, I was never more than one bad month away from being completely bankrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was just that was just like normal. You know, there yeah. was there were good months and there were bad months, but one really bad month could have finished the whole operation. Yeah. For 15 yeah. years, that was the level of uncertainty that I mean, we had to live with. The only, yeah, the only thing... I didn't care. The only thing that kept me afloat now these months is basically I have some savings and I didn't have any debt. I managed to build my stuff without uh, getting any credits. So, because if I had some, I would be like... Bad. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's it's incredibly rewarding. I I would not do anything else than what I do. Sure. I would just build in what I do. But but yeah, I I, I would not recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, one of my Argentinian friends, like he's an engineer, he's like, 
the other day, sent me a message saying, hey, God, hey Tomas, why didn't you just tell me how miserable you are so I don't drop everything and start building swords? <laughs> <laughs> and he's still engineer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry if I sound a bit grim. It's just that um, things are not well here in Chile at the moment. Sure, and, but and it's it's hard. It's you, yeah. Taking a great but when all years. this is over, mm-hmm. I want to extend my invitations to any instructor or fencer who wants to come to Chile for holidays or whatever. Mm-hmm. They can stay with me. They can um, stay with a lot of other people who do fencing because a lot of people in Europe just received me in their homes, you included, and I'm really, really thankful for that. So I try to do the same for everyone who asks. And I had a lot of people from South America and some European people come too. So as I said, I extend the invitation. We have, (laughs) we have great views, (laughs) amazing food. (laughs) Yeah. And And some good fencing too. Oh yeah. I don't drink. I don't drink so no, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, there's good wine. Sell our beer too. Okay. So so you heard it here first, folks. Make Chile your destination of choice for your holidays next year. And yes. you can all stay at Thomas's house. Excellent. Yes. That sounds like a party. <laughs> Maybe not all of the same time. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, book in advance. Brilliant. But we can accommodate a lot of people. So so, so where should people find you on the internet? Uh well my touch? My main contact thing is my Facebook for now. Tomas uh, Suazo on Facebook. Should be pretty fine. Yep. I also have my page for the for my company, Broken Anvil. That's uh, okay. That's on Facebook as well, is it? Yeah, it's on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. And um, for now, those are the things. I'm not really big into, like, as I build my company slowly mm-hmm. to not get in debt. I also didn't like publish so much stuff or give me so much publicity so I could, sure. I, I oversell, which is always a danger when you're working on your own. Yeah, and so many um, historical martial arts suppliers fell into that trap in the early days. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really tricky because you need the money, but you need mm-hmm. to keep the clients happy too. And, yeah, and, and I, you should only make promises you know you can keep. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I try. <laughs> I'm still on business technically yes. so. <laughs> okay well thank you very much indeed Thomas it's been a pleasure talking to you um, and I hope to talk to you again soon yeah it was it was great thank you guy I hope you're well and thanks and regards to your family and come to All Chile right. <laughs> I'd love we to. don't have money but we have a lot of stuff <laughs> <laughs> fair enough Thank you, Thomas. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Thomas. Remember to go along to guywindsor.net forward slash podcast for the episode show notes and to download your free copy of Sword Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. And tune in next week when I'll be talking to Kimberly Roseblade. We discuss Fury going into some depth into some of the wrestling plays, how she manages to be a historical martial arts instructor while suffering from lupus and many other things. And remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. See you next week.